If you were writing a book about your family, how much would you say about the bad things they do? We are preparing a little photo book for the possible adoption that we are going through. We're hoping and praying the Lord will bring one or two girls to be in our family. And Brenda this week worked on a picture book. Every page was filled with smiles. Every page was filled with fun and joy. And as I was thinking on the message this morning, I thought to myself, these poor little girls, (laughs) if they think our family is only about smiles, (laughs) they're in for a rude awakening. (laughs) We all have a tendency to paint the picture pretty, don't we? To make our family look nice. This is why I know the Bible is 100% true, one of the reasons. The Bible doesn't do that. (laughs) It paints paints man as he really is. Most of the Old Testament records Israel. And from the front cover, chapter 3, all the way till Jesus arrives... It is sin after sin after sin after sin. Temptation comes, and what happens? Every single person falls. Now, there are a few in the Bible that, doesn't, that there isn't recorded sin. But those, you only have little snapshots, little glimpses. We can assume that they sin, too. Because they were humans. One thing is clear as you study your Bible. Mankind is not good with temptation. Almost immediately, Adam and Eve, what do they do? They fall to temptation. The pattern continues with their sons. Cain kills Abel. Temptation. Fall. All of mankind then, right before the flood... Then after the flood, Noah's sons, one of them, immediately sins. Then the people of Babel. Then Abraham. Remember Hagar? Remember the lie? This is my sister. Isaac, the lie. This is my sister. Jacob. He steals his brother's birthright. Deception. It's everywhere. Lies. Sin. Over and over again. Where is our hero? (laughs) Sin after sin after sin. You would think, okay, after the deliverance from Egypt, what happens? Golden calf. Millions worship a golden calf. After God had delivered them. Sin, sin, sin. How about David? Everybody loves David, right? The one that slayed Goliath. Have you forgotten Bathsheba? 
Sin. Everywhere. Sin. Temptation comes. And there's a fall. Mankind's not real good with temptation. Mankind has a real problem. But then Jesus arrived. Jesus arrived and temptation came. And he won. He was perfect. That's a praise, isn't it? Thank the Lord. We have a victorious hero. One who does not fall to sin. This is why we should worship him. Take your Bibles and turn over to Luke chapter 4. As we look at a passage describing the temptation of our master, our Lord. Luke chapter 4. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. And being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, it shall be yours. Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. You have given this to us. We pray now, Lord, as that we look at your word, that you will help us to understand it. And, oh, God, not just to understand it, but to apply it to our heart, that we will be changed. Oh, God, help us not to fall into temptation as humanity has done before. But help us to look to Jesus, the one who was able to defeat and reject temptation. Thank you for this, Lord. Help us now to know you better. 
and serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to examine this passage from two different perspectives or two different views. The tempter and the tempted. The one who is tempting and the one who is being tempted. Two different views. It is Satan and the Son. The wicked one versus the righteous one. As we look at this passage, we're going to learn what to expect from the enemy when we look at the tempter. And then we're also going to learn how to overcome the enemy and how he overcame the enemy as we look at Jesus. So we're just going to walk right down through this passage and look at Satan and then look at how he tempted uh, the tempter, tempted one, Jesus. Look at the two and see how great Jesus is and how wicked Satan is. My prayer is, is that we will look at this passage today and you will be drawn more to the glory of Christ again. That you will love Christ more when you leave this place. You will say, he is my hero. He is the victor. He alone is the one worthy of trusting in. Just to give you a little background on the passage to compare. Luke has just highlighted that Jesus came from Adam. He's a descendant of Adam. He is the second Adam in the genealogy. There are some interesting differences, yet also some similarities between the temptation Satan did with Eve and Adam and with him. I want to think about it. I want you to think about a few of these, just looking at the passage. First, it's similar to the garden in that Satan himself brings the temptation. It's like that. It's also similar that food is involved. Interesting, huh? Food's involved in both places. Also, pride is involved in both places. We'll talk about that. And glory is involved in both places. Those are the temptations. But it's different in this. Jesus' temptation came after 40 days of going without food. <laughs> what did Adam and Eve have in the garden? Lots of food. <laughs> They could eat from any tree. There was only one that they couldn't eat from. Jesus, however, was in a wilderness. With what? No food. Jesus was not allowed to eat anything. They were allowed to eat anything they wanted. Except that one tree. Adam was living in paradise. Jesus was living in the wilderness. And Jesus rejected temptation... But Adam fell. Adam and Eve fell quick, easy. So there are some differences. There's also an emphasis in the Luke account. Look in verse 1 if you have your Bible. You can just follow along. Being full of the Holy Spirit, led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. This is very important. This means that the third person of the Trinity was actually moving Jesus to a place to be tempted. He was working this so that it happened. 
Now, was he the primary tempter? No. Satan was the primary tempter, the main one tempting, right? But God did direct Jesus into this place to be tempted. He was secondary, but ultimately in control. Even in this vision or understanding, it's very important for you to understand this. God does not tempt, but God in his providence allows temptations to come in. And the Spirit is fully active in this. Why would, why would the Spirit allow for this to happen? Think about this for a second. Why would the Spirit lead him into a place where he might be tempted? Answer, because he wanted to show how glorious Jesus was when he passed the temptation. The Spirit was not looking, oh, he's going to fall. Let's see if he falls. Let's see if he falls. No, it's watch this. Watch the sun. <laughs> watch him win. Look, look how bad it is. He's not in paradise. He's in the wilderness. Look, watch him. He wins. He's victorious. Again, what is the book of Luke supposed to make you do? It's supposed to make you go, Jesus, the victor, way to go. He's great. I want to trust him alone. Right? And that's what we're going to see in this temptation. It's beautiful. There's an emphasis on the spirit working. Third, the trial included a period of 40 days of eating nothing. Okay? Don't answer this. Has anybody gone 40 days without eating at all? Nothing? No. Some of you might say, well, a doctor would tell you you'd die. Right? Well, I think the father can handle keeping the body alive, don't you think? I mean, after all, he did create the body of man, right? Now, granted, Jesus was God, but he had a human body. The father could somehow sustain the body, can he? Without food? I mean, he is God, right? So we don't have to have science to prove that it can happen or not. A doctor can tell you that it's not going to happen, but guess what? He can do it, right? Fourth, this passage does state it's at the end of the 40 days when God allowed human, uh, the human Jesus to feel the effect of hunger, though. At the end, it says he became hungry. What does that imply? He literally had the hunger pains. Now, can you imagine 40 days? Boy, I bet you he was, woo, give me just something to eat. It was groaning his stomach. So he felt some kind of effect of being hungry. And the three temptations listed appear to come at the end after the 40 days. But if you look at verse 2, it appears that there could have been even more temptation along the way before this. All along. Again. We're going to look at three temptations revealed in this passage. We will look at both the participant in each of the temptation, the evil one who is tempting and the righteous one who is being tempted. 
There's three temptations. Write these down. First, provide through self-reliance. He tempts them. Provide for yourself through self-reliance. That's the first temptation. Second, rule through a wicked alliance. Rule the world through association with me. Third, presume on God's goodness. Take it for granted that God will take care of you. And push God to act. Presume on God's goodness. We're going to look at these over the next two weeks. First, let's look. Provide through self-reliance. This is a temptation that says, in effect, take care of yourself. Do you hear that? Listen up. Take care of yourself. That's what Satan said. The devil, his temptation. He says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, you see this little if here? If. The word if. He is not doubting whether or not Jesus is the Son of God. In the language, it literally could be translated this. Since you are the Son of God, since you are, turn this stone into bread. He's not doubting it. Satan knows that he's the Son of God. He knows it. His point, though, is this. Take care of yourself. You're the Son of God. You can turn stones into bread. The idea here is not that he's questioning whether Jesus really is. The idea is because you are him, take care of yourself. The temptation is a call for Jesus to provide for his physical needs. Now, this is a trick, tricky thought. Now, stop for a second. Look up at me and listen. Are you supposed to take care of yourself? If you're hungry, are you supposed to feed yourself? Yes. What's wrong with Jesus turning a stone into some bread? I mean, he's hungry. Take care of yourself. What's the answer? God didn't want him to perform a miracle and feed himself that way. It was not what God wanted. His desire was for him to wait on him, to depend on the Father to feed him. At this point, it was all about dependence. Now, how does that apply to me and you? The tempter says, step up, Jesus. Just do it yourselves and rely on yourself instead of God. You are God's son. You are powerful enough. Just do it. The devil questions in this temptation the father's love, though, for the son. It's it's seductive. It's very quiet. It's behind the scene. He says, in effect, he says this. The father's not going to care for you. Go ahead and do it yourself. God isn't, he, does, he really doesn't love you. Come on. You've got the power. Do it. Just like Satan said to Eve, huh? Satan said to Eve, God just doesn't want you to be like him. Huh? 
just doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good from evil. Hmm. Questioning God, the Father's provision. This temptation we all fail at. Everybody in this room. We doubt God's faithfulness regularly, don't we? You say, why? When? When did I doubt God's faithfulness? Our failure is obvious. We question what we have and whether it's enough. How many in you here have said, I'm completely satisfied with all that I have all the time? I don't want more. I'm, I'm okay with what I got. Matter of fact, what I have is too much. Let me give it away. Anybody in here like that? No. See, we see our circumstances and we say what? We compare ourselves to everybody else. Wait a second. Tom's got, got a nicer truck than I do. His vehicle's a little better than mine. Come on. What's wrong? Hey, I know what I'll do. I'll work harder and get me one. I'll work really hard. I'll get me a side job. Because after all, being a pastor of a church this size, you're not going to make enough. I got to work harder, make a little bit more money on the side. I'll get me another job. Then I can get me my iPad and me a truck like Tom's. What is that? The same thing. Take the stone, turn it to bread. You got a desire, get it. But I want a nice truck. It's just like saying, I'm hungry. I want some food. Look, folks, this is who you are. This is what you're prone to do. You're going to look at this church even. You're going to look at things about and say, well, I think it should be like this. And I think it should be like that. And I think this should be fixed. And I wish this would be that way. Stop complaining. (laughs) This is how it is. (laughs) By the way, me. I need to stop complaining too. This is how it is. God has brought us here. We are to love each other. We are supposed to depend on God, right? The honeymoon is going to be over soon. What is the honeymoon? For our church. The honeymoon, the merge. You merge and you get all these people. Everybody looks at everybody and says, wow, you're beautiful. It's like when you got married, right? You're beautiful. Wow, you're so kind. Wow, stars in your eyes, everything's beautiful. Then you're going to realize I'm a sinner. Then you're going to realize I'm not perfect. And neither are the brothers and sisters around you. And neither are you. And you're going to look at this, and there's going to be that temptation. I'll fix it. (laughs) I'll fix it. It happens there. It happens at your job. It happens in your family. It happens in your home. It happens everywhere. The tempter, Satan, is right there, right on your edge, right over your shoulder. He's saying this. He's saying, you can fix him. You 
can fix that miserable husband. You can make him better. Come on, you can do it. when she's angry. Tell her that First Peter chapter 3 verse, you should submit to me. The Bible says it. That's safe. And we're going to say, I'll fix it. I'll change that stone into bread. And you miss the point. What does God want us to do? The same thing Jesus did. Depend on him. Trust him. That's what Jesus did. The key to the temptation is a lack of trust of God. That's when you fail. If you don't trust God, you fall. If you trust God and his dependence for you, you succeed. By the way, it's everywhere. These physical desires, it's the same thing with lust. Same thing. You see it? Hey, God made me this way. (laughs) He made me with this hunger. What's wrong with hunger? There's nothing wrong with hunger, is it? Anybody? Is there anything wrong with being hungry? Is there anything wrong with desiring someone of the opposite sex? Trick question. No. If it's your wife, <laughs> if you're married, otherwise the desire has to do what? Die. But you say in your mind, I've got to have it now. I want it now. Turn the stone into bread. I've got to have it now. Same thing. Isn't it? It's the temptation. And he knows exactly where we're weak. He knows our desires. Does everybody understand this? How did Jesus respond? He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Man shall not live on bread alone. What's the point? It's not about just physical, having my physical body satisfied. My life is not just about having my satisfied physical needs. It's not just about eating, even though you could argue that my body shows a little bit different. It's not all about eating. It's about what? It's about God. It's about dependence upon him. It's about trusting in him. That's what he's saying. Look at the context of Deuteronomy 8.3. Jesus quotes from the word here. Which is important, right? He quotes from God's word to what? Put down the temptation. How am I supposed to think about this temptation? How am I supposed to think about this bread turning in or this stone being turned into bread? How am I supposed to think? I'm supposed to think what the word says. I'm supposed to go with what the Bible says. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, God said, he humbled you. God humbled you, Moses said. 
God humbled you and let you be hungry. Wow, look at that. You see this? Let you be hungry. Hmm. Jesus thought of this verse immediately. Temptation, I'm hungry. Let you be hungry. Talking to the children of Israel. He let you be hungry and fed you with manna, from, which was from which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Look, Jesus gets it. It's not about my physical hunger. It's about whatever God says. Whatever God says, I'm going with that. I don't care, Satan. Get out of here. I don't need that. I need him. And I need his voice. Dependence. Utter dependence. So Jesus submits to the Father's will for him. Some of you might question, well, why do I often talk about God's sovereignty? Why do I often talk about it in Scripture? Well, because the sovereignty of God in these Scriptures points out something very important. If we do not understand that God is in control of all things, we will rely on ourselves and we will fall on our face. See, this is it. How can Jesus say, it's not about turning that into bread and eating and filling my stomach. I'm hungry. How many of you can give me a scripture verse that says, God will not let you be hungry? Think about that. Well, you better understand this thing. That God knows what you need and he gives it to you when you need it. You better understand that he is sovereign. Otherwise, you will be in trouble when you face trials. And you know what you will do? You will complain. You will try to fix it yourself. You won't depend on God, and God will crush you. He'll allow you to be crushed. Why? So you will depend on him. So you will trust in him. He is Lord. You aren't. He is king. We aren't. He is master. Here's some application. We see that the Savior is perfect. Praise the Lord. Right? He didn't fall. Second, we see how we should respond when temptation comes. How should we respond? One, Scripture. Right? You better have it in your heads. You better be putting it there. Second, dependence upon the Lord. Trusting in him. Some people ask me, do you think America is about to explode and everything's going to get real bad? I have no idea. I don't know. If it did, are you ready? Is the more important question. If everything went away, as you know it, are you ready? Do you understand that if everything went away, God puts up kings and God puts down kings? Do you understand that if everything went away and you had no food that God still provides 
and that you can trust him even if it's only a little bit of grain and water? You know, there's a gigantic revival right now of people that are coming to awareness, Christians that are coming to awareness of God's sovereignty. You know what? That's a good thing. Because if things get tough, we must know that God is to be trusted. Do you understand? Jesus was in a tough situation, and he depended upon the Lord and used Scripture to back it up. God allows us sometimes to be hungry, so we will depend on him. The next temptation. Look in your Bibles. Rule through wicked alliance. Rule through wicked alliance. Notice, Satan says in effect, be king over all now. You can be king over all now by means of a shortcut. Reject the father's rulership and worship Satan instead. This is his temptation. You can have it all now. Notice the devil starts with a different location. In verse 5 it says, He led him up to show him all the kingdoms of the world. He took him to a mountain high so he could see everything. So Jesus could be tempted by all the glories of the world. This is a different temptation. It's rule over the world through worship of Satan. That's the temptation. Rule over the world through worship of Satan. Look at Luke. I will give you, this is what Satan says, all this domain, all this area of rulership, and its glory, for it, it, it has been handed over to me, talking Satan, it's been given to Satan, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Now, there's a half-truth here, just like Satan. He says a little bit of truth mixed in with the lies. Just a little bit, right? What's the truth? Satan is God of this world. And all those who don't believe in him are what? His subjects. All those who have not really repented and trusted in God, they're his. They might not know it. They don't know it. They think that they're their own. They think they're fine. They think they're good people. But they're really under his hand. So there is some truth. But who ultimately gives and takes away? God does. The Father does. The Son is going to have all the glory. Don't we know this from Philippians after the fact? Philippians 2. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? But... Is it right away? No. Is it a shortcut? No. Oh, but this doesn't go well with our society. It doesn't go well with us in here. Think about this for a second. We're in a gotta have it now kind of society, don't we? Is that not us? I gotta have it now. That's why credit card debt is absolutely crazy in our country. That's why bankruptcy is on the rise in our country. Why? I got to have it now. I want the glory. I want it now. 
And people will do whatever it takes to get there. Gotta have it now. You know, I was thinking about this even on the, those lottery signs. See about this last night. Did y'all see the jackpot is up, or it was, up to $212 million. Wow, that's a lot of money. $212 million. And here, Satan gets on your shoulders. And he says this, you could do a lot with that $212 million. They're going to take half of it, but $100 million. Wow. You could build a big church. <laughs> and the air conditioner would really work. And boy, you could send a whole bunch of missionaries, Mike. All over the world, you can have your own jets and fly the missionaries wherever you wanted. Wow, you could do all these things. One ticket? Just one ticket. A dollar, two? Shortcut. You just saw my vision for our church, by the way. It might not be a jet, but it will be an airplane. But if I did it that way, who would get the glory? Me, not God. And how about this? The government or the program lottery got me rich so I could do all these great things. What a wonderful program. Wow! Can't you see the pictures now? Pastor with picture, $212 million doing so much. What a great program. Buy your lottery ticket today. You can help people too. Lies, 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 shortcut, shortcut to glory. Same thing Satan said to Jesus. Same thing. Lies. God gives us exactly what he wants to give us when he gives us to us. We will get to share God. With God in glory. It might not be here. And that's okay. We might always have a church of a hundred. Max. And that's okay too. God is sovereign. And I am not going to abandon him. Are you? Are you going to abandon him? Because you don't get your glory now. Oh, folks, we can't do this. In your own personal life, you can't do this. And in your job, you can't do this. Don't cut corners. 
depend on God. The son did it. And he didn't take the wicked alliance to do it. He didn't have to buy into the evil one in order to do it. Some say, well, he only, it was just one time to worship. Satan was just saying, just one time, get down on your knees, just one time and say, okay, you're, you're great, Satan, and then you can get back up. No, that's not, that's not it. Do you understand that this choice is an eternal break in the triune God? This is because you know why? The Father has nothing of sharing his glory with anybody but himself. If Satan tempted one of the members of the Trinity to give glory to someone that was less actually evil, unholy, it would be what? A break forever. Anytime anybody worships anyone other than God, they are doing what? Sinning. And then the son would not have been perfect. And then your sin would not have been paid for. And then all of humanity would have been plunged into hell for eternity. This isn't just a small choice of alliance. It was a choice to send the world into hell. It was a choice to reject the glorious God of the universe. Now, do you view it that way? Do you listen to me? Listen closely. Look. Sin. The shortcut. I got to have it now. Is the same thing. It's saying, I don't think you're glorious, God. I want this instead of you. I got to have the glory now instead of you. What is that? Crazy, isn't it? When you sin, ladies and gentlemen, you reject the glory of God and being satisfied with Him for your own self-righteous ways. I can do it better. I need it now. Thankfully, Jesus didn't respond wrong. Look, he said well, how we should think. He responded appropriately, and we'll conclude with this. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Wow. Deuteronomy 6.13. Again, he quotes from Scripture. And he recognizes his responsibility in light of God's glory. He says, okay. I, you must, we must, all of humanity must worship God alone. Only. God alone is wor- worthy of worship. God alone is worthy of total service. In Matthew's account, this is the last temptation, and Jesus says, be gone, get away. It's not about the world's glory, folks. It's all about God's glory. 
Everything is about God's glory, not our glory. God alone is worthy of worship. I will have rulership in the Father's time. You will enjoy glory in the Father's time. Not until then. Again, we see a beautiful picture here of how we should put down temptation. Get it. Write these down. You ready? How do I avoid temptation? One, seek scripture's insight on the temptation. You get this? Listen closely. Listen. Temptation comes. What does God think about this? Important. What's the Bible say? Second, submit to what the Bible says. (laughs) Say, okay, I'm going with what God says, not what I think. Third, reject the lies of the temptation. I'm not going to put up with the lie. I'm going with what the Bible says. I'm going with what God says. And fourth, depend on the Father's rule to avoid the sin. Again, it's dependence again. How many of you have passed these temptations every time in your life? How many of you have rejected sin your entire life? None of us. How do you do it? You must know what God says about it. You must know someone who did do it. You must trust in that Christ alone. You must trust in the victor. Who is the victor? Jesus. He alone did it. You can't do it on your own. You must trust in Christ alone. And you must depend on him to work in yourself to do what's right. Glory and authority are two huge attractions for us all. Wanting to be praised. Wanting rulership. How many of you want to be in charge Some of you in here say, that's not me. I don't want to be in charge. (laughs) Be careful. Because there are times where everybody in the room wants to be in charge. Everybody. And it's those moments when you are being tempted. How How do we determine whether or not somebody should be an elder in our church or not? How do we determine that? How do we determine who should lead the church? Good question, isn't it? How how does the elder board determine this? Good question. It isn't the person going, put me in charge. If it's that person going, put me first, pick me, hey! I'm the leader! Look at me! Those are the ones we go. Uh, You might need to check out your heart. You're fighting for leadership. You're in trouble. Sounds like you're up on that hill looking down on all the glory and saying, I want some of that glory. Those aren't the ones we want. We want... People like Christ. It's a servant. 
We want people that will lay down their life for other people, will not complain about their circumstances, will enjoy God and Christ and put others above themselves. That's what 1 Timothy 3 is all about. Don't you want those kind of people leading you? Isn't that what you want, folks? I have to admit, I don't know how in the world I can do it. I can't. I need Christ. Please pray for me. Pray for Mark. We need you to pray for us. We need the Spirit's work in our hearts. Christ did it. Praise the Lord. Even when we fail, he is always victorious. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for all you're doing in our church. Help us to be humble servants of you. Not seeking glory or authority for our own self-interest. Help us to do this in our homes too. Help us to do this in our workplaces too. Father, we are needy people. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for his shining example. And thank you for his righteousness that has been given to us by your grace. We praise you and thank you. We commit the rest of our day to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.